This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming. Stick around for more info about them later in the episode. What's up, everyone? I'm Charlie Shrem, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week we dive deep with crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement truly came to be. The show is powered by Blockworks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their network. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io. With that, today's guest is Bobby Ong. We talked about CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, and the difficulty in moderating metrics and liquidity and all different numbers. Bobby is the founder and CEO of CoinGecko that you guys know for all your data and liquidity. This is a really exciting episode because we get really deep into the metrics and the numbers of what is the price of a cryptocurrency? How do you actually create pricing? How are buyers and sellers doing these things? What is a liquidity metric? What does that look like? And how has Bobby and his people come up with the data that we all look at for transparency and disclosures every single day? Bobby Ong, you are the co-founder and CEO of CoinGecko. How's it going? How's Malaysia? Sorry? COO. Co-founder and COO. The co-founder and COO of CoinGecko. Yeah. You know, it's a funny yeah. story. I don't know if this is true in your case, but growing up, I used to like fix people's printers and things like that. You know, um, I would have my business card, like Shrem Technologies Vice President, because people respected the vice president more than the president for some weird reason. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, because it seems like you're part of a larger organization now. You're not like the president. Like I was a kid, you know, oh, you're the vice. So there must be other people now. I'll be like the executive vice president in charge of like printing technologies or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's just me. It's 12 years old. Yeah. What was your first business growing up? Um, I was selling T-shirts in school. So I was printing some T-shirts and then just distributing it to, to, to my classmates. And then, uh, yeah, just asking them to buy. What kind of T-shirts just like? School shirts or whatever. Printed tea, printed teas uh, with some catchy phrases and all. That's awesome. And you grew up in Malaysia. That's right. Uh, yeah, born and bred in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. I've not been there yet. You should come by. It's an yeah. open invitation to you. Would love to have you visit our office. You know, it's it's interesting because uh, Malaysia was one of the places that I really wanted to travel to before this whole like COVID started and and everything but um you know you and i have like a very similar situation because we both kind of got involved in crypto like during our college days um you you had met your co-founder and you decided to to start this right after you'd graduated uh tell us how that all story how that all started and why you wanted to launch CoinGecko. yeah so i first heard about bitcoin in 2013 and um so what got me really curious was um, I, I studied economics in University College London, um, supposedly the best, one of the best universities in the world and learned all about, all about money, right? So supposedly. I, thought I came, thought I came out of uni <laughs> knowing everything about money. And then here I am, uh, I was teaching myself how to code uh, right after uni and, and, um, every, and I was thinking a lot in these programmers forums and a lot of these programmers were saying, hey, there's this new, new, new form of money called Bitcoin. And I, I got me really curious, why, why did my professors talk about it in school, like in uni? Like, are they out of out obsolete by then? Or is my degree out of date, like immediately after graduating? Yeah, right. Or, well, as you're learning it, it's going obsolete. Exactly. And, <laughs> and I thought, so I, I thought, like, okay, either, either my teachers are obsolete or, or these guys are playing crazy, but you know what? I've got nothing to lose, right? Why don't I just read a Bitcoin white paper? So I took a read, um, got, and then I started, okay, started going down a rabbit hole, got my first Bitcoin, and then when I transferred it to my own wallet, which I control, I knew from that moment onward, things, uh, this is revolutionary because no one can freeze my coins ever, like we used to, I mean, we use PayPal a lot and we know coins, I mean, money, dollars stored on PayPal can be frozen anytime. Uh, dollars that you have in your bank accounts are not, are not yours. Like the, the government can freeze it anytime they want. Um, so so I, I thought it was truly revolutionary and I knew this was gonna change our finance um, and money as we knew it. So uh, I started digging, uh, digging, reading more and then discovering all these other altcoins. And sometime in, uh, 2014, I met my co-founder, uh, had a chance encounter in Singapore and we sort of stayed in touch and when he came back to Malaysia, uh, we sort of um, uh, wanted to do something together. So we both kind of 
um, brainstorm on three different ideas on what could work in the crypto space. Malaysia as it is, is a really small country, so can't really do much thing. I mean, everybody in crypto, when we first got into Bitcoin, we all wanted to start an exchange. So we toyed about the idea of trying to help people buy and sell Bitcoin, just like what you did. But realize that that's probably not something that we have the expertise in, especially dealing with all this AML, KYC stuff. And so we thought we, we, we brainstormed harder on what are things that we can do. And we, we realized that there's a lot of things that we can do in the data space. Um, a lot of data were not tracked properly, were not tracked at all actually. Websites were designed very badly. It reminded us of websites from the GeoCities days. And we thought like, hey, this is something that both the two of us could do and probably uh, serve the rest of the world from our homes in Malaysia. Uh, there's no reason why anybody from Malaysia couldn't do something for the world. So uh, started going around tracking data. Uh, one of our first data that we data points that we wanted to track was how active a particular altcoin is in terms of its development activity. Everyone's saying that their coin has the most active development. Uh, they're talking Bitcoin talk on Reddit and so on. But we thought like, hey, all this information is available on GitHub. We can put a number of commits, number of stars, number of favorites, and so on, and put them all together and then rank them. Uh, so that's what we did. We plugged into the GitHub's API. Uh, back then, there was also Bitbucket, so we pulled those data in as well. And we also put in some of the social metrics, like number of Facebook likes, Twitter followers, Reddit comments, Reddit subscribers, and so on, and kind of put them together to construct a social metric as well. Together, we sort of designed a ranking that was, I like, call it a gecko rank, which sort of ranks altcoins uh, in a bunch of 360-degree criteria. So it looks at market cap, uh, it looks at uh, developer score, uh, volume, social metrics, and so on. So that, that was how CoinGecko started um, in our rooms back in 2014, and then uh, and then we kind of grew it over the years until we are now. But it wasn't really a, a business model um, back then, which is so intriguing. So, you, you know, data data as a business, I feel like was one of the last things that people thought about as a good business model in crypto. When someone says, what type of business do you want to start? It's like, I'm going to aggregate data and then hopefully I'm going to sell some ads and I'm going to sell ads to people who probably don't like me because I'm going to put out data that's very transparent that they don't want actually to know. I mean, it's, you probably run into things like that all the time. Yeah. Uh, so let's just say we were a bit naive back then. We thought we could make. <laughs> but aren't we all out of university? <laughs> so we thought we could make a lot of money like selling ads online. Uh, so we thought ads was a great business model to run. So after running it for a couple of years, we realized that ads is actually a really tough business model. Um, so I guess we, we, we were lucky in the sum, to some extent. So we're based in Malaysia, the cost of living is a lot lower here and a lot of the data is sort of automated from our side. So we, we are sort of a media business in the sense that we chase page views and these page views can, uh, we sell ads on those page views. So I guess those two reasons help us to sustain ourselves and uh, over the years, we sort of try to think hard on how we can refine the model further. So far it's all right. We, we maintain a reasonably small team here. We have about 13 people uh, full-time working for CoinGecko in Malaysia. And uh, so far the ads operations are doing well, are funding the operations well. Uh, but we are thinking hard on some of the other revenue sources that we can look to grow CoinGecko. So some of the play that we are looking at this year is probably more content research play. So uh, for example, this year we published a book called How to DeFi, which is basically a book on decentralized finance, a 200 plus page book on basically everything and everything that you want to know about decentralized finance, step-by-step -step guide on all, all it is. Kind of gave up the book for free and then uh, just recently on the 1st of May, we turned on the paywall, paywall and uh, started charging for the book. Um, we was surprised because the book was given up for free. The PDFs are widely available, but people are still buying the book. So that's kind of a good thing. And uh, that's probably something that we will start doing more and, and, and monetize that way, I would say. That's actually a great idea. Um, especially with your insight and your data, you could put out a lot of good content um, on just like the market, you know, as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been, we've been publishing a quarterly report on coin uh, where we look at the crypto market in general. And we've been doing this for the past uh, two and a half years or so. Uh, we just published the 11th report, which is uh, the Q1 2020 report. And we give it out for free. Uh, we didn't even charge anything. It was a 55 slides report on the crypto market. 
that's probably something that we can do as well. Maybe like a premium report or something, which we we'll probably consider in the future. But yeah, we think more about it. Do you do you feel like you have a moral obligation to your to your users, to people that stumble upon your website, or the, those who come on purpose, or those who subscribe to the various? You know, I don't know if you have tiers or membership, but do you do you feel you have like a moral obligation to to the crypto community as a whole? Yeah, and and that's exactly why we feel really bad to charge and pay pay for some of this content. Like we feel it feels that it's our responsibility to educate the market on what we know because these things uh, it's a revolution and it's like going to change the way everything. And then uh, information is hard to come by. There's so much information going around because we are lucky enough to to be to have a job full time in this space to really condense all this information. It feels that we have to do. Like you say, a moral obligation to society to educate people on, on masses on, 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 on this information that we get in this space. What do you mean? You said um, you were saying something earlier just a second ago. Can you expand on that? Which one? Well, you made a statement. I wish I could play it back. Um, okay. My well, I, I think I was saying, <laughs> I, I, was saying um, I think if you, we feel like there's a moral obligation for us to educate the community on everything in the, in the, that's happening in the space. Uh, not everyone is lucky enough to be in a position, position like us where we have the chance to work full-time in the industry and to follow all the ins and outs. A lot of time I talk to friends who are not in the industry, they think that they either think like some of them still think crypto is a scam or they think there's not much going on, but actually there's so much things that's going on and things are moving so fast and so rapidly, uh, innovations going on so fast that, that we feel that we should like do our very best to tell the world and tell the rest of the people like how, how, how things will change in, with, with blockchain technology. Tell me about the, like, uh, the landscape in Malaysia before COVID. Um, are you guys, are there other companies? How's your government? You know, is it is it a great place to, to run a business? Yeah, yeah. So we're based in Malaysia, um, and and it's it's a it's a very interesting place here. So the government's actually quite pro uh, pro crypto. So last year they gave out three licenses to crypto exchanges, um, Luno, Tokenize Exchange, and Synergy got the licenses. Um, so now they can easily they can freely trade, but. It's actually not not as simple. You can't just trade any coins. You it follows quite closely with the Japanese regulations. So uh, to trade any coins, you need to get approval from the regulators. At this point in time, uh, only Bitcoin, XRP, and Ethereum is allowed to be traded on these regulated exchanges. Of course, what most people do is um, they just get their fiat into crypto and then move on to one of these altcoin exchanges where uh, like Binance, where there's like basically no no regulation. Um, Malaysia is a really small country, um, 30 million population. Uh, the community, the crypto community is relatively small. Uh, this group of people that's been around since the early days uh, into mining, into trading. Uh, in terms of companies, uh, the other really big company uh, besides us in, in town is Etherscan. So Etherscan's... Uh, oh, I didn't know that they were based in Malaysia. Interesting. Exactly. So a lot of people didn't know they're based in Malaysia. So the, the guys there are also building very quietly, uh, not much hype and not very loud. And they all just uh, about Ethers 20 minutes to drive. Etherscan is another company that I would ask the same thing about, you know, do you feel like you have a moral obligation, you know, when it comes to their Ethereum users? But do you remember earlier I asked you, I asked you to expand on something, you know, I remember what I wanted to ask was, is this, you think that the way you look at business and kind of the way you look at life, do you think it's something of the, as a result of the way you grew up? Uh, and then in, how conservative are you in, in the larger, you know, in the larger, um, Malaysian government, are they, are they conservative in terms, are they more liberal? Like, uh, I'm trying to get the, the idea of the landscape. Um, and I'm trying to get the idea of the landscape in relation to other countries around you. So I guess Malaysia is um, a pretty business friendly country. Uh, it's an export oriented country. So um, a lot of Malaysia is traditionally a trading nation. So what we do is we import raw material, we produce some products and then we ship it off to to China and the US to produce a final product. So we are one of the largest um, semiconductor uh, manufacturing hub. Uh, I think Intel was chose Malaysia back in the 70s to build its first uh, factory outside the US. Um, so it's got its history of uh, being an export-oriented uh, economy. And so a lot of Malaysians are 
um, very well versed in dealing with uh, businesses. A lot of uh, we we are uh, we have rubber as a natural resource. Uh, we are the, one of the largest exporter for palm oil, uh, and we export a lot of. I think we are the major exporter for uh, rubber gloves, uh, condoms, and any any rubber products. Um, and so government is actually pretty uh, business friendly, and um, in terms of uh, how liberal or conservative this, the, the 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 country is. I guess it's nowhere as liberal as the U.S. Um, some may argue is getting a bit more conservative, but the U.S. is not that liberal, in. by the way. We're, we're a bunch of prudes. <laughs> Maybe on the East Coast and the West Coast, I guess. <laughs> but but, but yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, it's a majority Muslim nation, so so there's some um, uh, conservatism uh, expected there in that in that sense, I suppose. But I mean, it's pretty pretty much. Uh, pretty okay to live in a safe place uh, and cost of living is low. Yeah. It really, it really goes to, to, you know, where you grew up and how your family is that really defines who you are. You talk about Malaysia being an export nation and it's, and it's so true. I remember in the early days, Malaysia was actually one of the places that uh, Bitcoin mining really first got started. So funny story. So one of my, one of my really close friends and I, and I actually don't like to even say his name because he's, you know, he's an old school miner, but he, was one of the first Bitcoin miners and he's, you know, has been based out of Malaysia. And in fact, we were very close, but he was writing me letters when I was in jail. He was writing me letters from Malaysia, like physical handwritten. It would take weeks to get back and forth to each other. Wow. That's, that's a big commitment for him, writing letters and sending it to, to your jail. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were friends and, and, um, and, but it just goes to, to, you know, the, that mentality of, uh, globalization that's very much a part of uh, the Malaysian the Malaysian subculture you know um, and so that's really that was really great to see that um, is so is, so Singapore is you know like basically attached to next door is that is that's a comparison you know I feel like um, both countries and the people in them are very much like that uh, in terms of like export and friendly and globalization uh, are there any differences in terms of uh, that you would say, that so if I were to come, if I were to come to Malaysia and I were to go, go to Singapore a week later, I spend the same amount of time in both countries. Well, what difference is what I notice, and then how does that relate to like the overall crypto landscape? So Singapore used to be part of Malaysia. Uh, I think it was part of the country for two years or so before. Yeah, I mean differences in political opinions uh, forced the leaders to split off. Um, so in terms of the people, they are very similar, uh, similar kind of people. Uh, there's three major races, Malays, Chinese, and Indians. Uh, the, big, the big difference is that in Malaysia, Malays are uh, the majority, and in Singapore, the Chinese are the majority. So that's the big difference. In terms of um, business friendliness, both are very business friendly, both are very export-oriented. Uh, Singapore has built its name as the global hub uh, in Asia, I would say. So in terms of fintech and the crypto landscape, um, Singapore is way more at once. There's a lot more companies based, in, based out of Singapore. There's a lot more uh, hedge fund, trading funds, uh, exchanges, all based out of Singapore. Um, Malaysia is a very local market. Um, every, um, it's, rare, it's rare to have uh, companies that are very uh, outward focused like Etherscan and CoinGecko in Malaysia. Um, I, I guess, I mean, you can say that, um, I, I mean, I always say that Malaysia is a small country, but if you look at Singapore, Singapore is a tiny country in comparison. There's, there's barely any local market to serve. That the only market worth serving is to be based in Singapore and, and serve the world. Uh, there's a lot of talent in Singapore, um, um, but the same can be said for Malaysia, but the cost of living uh, in Singapore is probably two to three times higher than Malaysia. Uh, so that, that's, that's the main difference. I always like to say, uh, I, I love KL in a sense that it, it is as modern as Singapore, maybe slightly less efficient. Uh, you got fast internet, you got all the conveniences of a modern city, uh, tall skyscrapers, public transport, just not as efficient. Sounds like though Malaysia is the place you want to be. Exactly. Like exactly. everyone goes to Singapore. When you travel somewhere, you don't go to the best beach. You go to the one that no one knows about. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, Malaysia is a nice place to, to live and grow and build a family and have a family here. And then like Singapore is the place where you want to go in maybe once a month or once every two months and then get into groove and connect and network people and then uh, feel that you've got to achieve and aim for more because everyone's so driven there. And then you go back to your suburbs and then go and build your team. That's, that's kind of the group that I go around. Doing. How's the cost of living? Um, it's half, half the cost, half, half the price in Singapore. Like everything, office, But rent, you get uh, better. Yeah, yeah. 
So let's go, let's jump back into CoinGecko and let's talk about the software and how you guys work with uh, other companies. So obviously the big elephant in the room is CoinMarketCap. Um, I yep. think that everyone knows that the only two companies that do what you guys do are CoinGecko and CoinMarketCap. Um, before okay. I get into, I want to talk about CoinGecko as a software, but one of actually the questions I forgot to ask you is what are your thoughts on the CoinMarketCap Binance merger? Uh, or, you know, because it goes back to the moral question now that, I love Binance. CZ is actually a very good friend of mine, but I'm very critical to him, uh, and, and and everyone knows it. Very critical in general over you know like centralization. It doesn't matter what coin project or even a company, um, you know. Because I'll tell you this, Bobby: good intentions are not transferable. So when you set a bad precedent, you know it creates uh, down the road. While your intentions may be good now, when you set a bad precedent down the road. Uh, you know, a person may not have the best intentions uh, for us, you know. So tell me about like, uh, what do you think of that? Uh, did you know about it before? Were you talking to them? Like, how did that go? Yeah, so I, I talked to the Binance folks a lot. Um, maybe a lot is not as much as CoinMarketCap. But I was relatively surprised with the news, to be honest. Um, me too, actually. I, I didn't catch that. And I, I'm an M&A guy all the way. It's, it's what I do in this space, really. Yeah, so I, I, I was really surprised to hear. What, what was really surprising is the price tag as well. 400 million US dollars. I mean, they didn't admit, they, nobody disclosed the price. It was just a rumor. We don't know if it's true or anywhere close to that. But let's just say if it's true, uh, it's still a huge amount of money. And if it's true, good for uh, Brandon, the, co- the, the founder of CoinMarketCap. I mean, he's got a good, nice exit. Um, I mean, 400 million is basically the ha- largest M&A in crypto history. I mean, it... it, it the other two 400 million M and A is the uh, Poloniex acquisition by Circle and Bitstamp's uh, sale to this Korean uh, conglomerate, I think, gaming com- gaming company. So 400 million is a great amount of money. Um, for me, I think Coin- uh, Binance just wants to be number one in everything, everything crypto. So if you think about it, they are already the largest exchange. Uh, they want to be the largest derivative exchange. They are going after BitMEX with Binance Futures, and they're doing pretty well. Uh, from a report, we saw that they are fast catching up. They already have the largest Bitcoin perpetual uh, swap trading yep, volume. True. Soon open interest. Um, they are. They got a largest IEO platform. They got. Uh, they got a website with the most uh, web traffic among exchanges. Um, they, they are the second largest, most traffic website, and the not, one website that is larger than them is CoinMarketCap. So they want to be the web, the largest crypto website. So they want to acquire CoinMarketCap and make it complete. I mean, if you look at it, they also started a mining pool now, Binance pool. They want to compete against the Bitmains and the slash uh, pool in uh, F two pools and so on. So really, what I think is they just want to dominate everything crypto. I think CZ has a tendency, I think he, 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 he follows quite closely this book, uh, Blitz Scaling, and, and basically he just like spent money to get growth because the cost of not getting growth today is more expensive later on by having a competitor coming after you. So I think that's, that's his main thinking. He tells all his team to read Blitz Scaling uh, by Reid Hoffman, and, and I, can, I guess that's, that's this plan, I suppose. There's no question that crypto and gaming have gone hand in hand since the early days of Bitcoin when it first launched. And in fact, that's what really drove mass adoption. Companies like BitCasino, which is the first ever licensed Bitcoin casino, and brands like Sportsbet.io. I mean, it's the reason people are using crypto and Bitcoin today. Fun, fast, and fair. When you're using uh, blockchain-based gaming, make sure you require that they are fair because there's no reason that they shouldn't be transparent because everything can be seen on the blockchain. Coin gaming is so cool. It's an ecosystem of brands, products, and people that are serious not just about shaking up the gaming industry, but also the crypto industry. These guys have been around since the early days of Bitcoin. The CEO of Coin Gaming used to actually mine for Bitcoin and, and use the Bitcoin miner to heat his home in Estonia. I mean, those go down to like negative 25 degrees. So if you're, if you're cool about driving crypto awareness together, if you got a question or you just want to connect with your team of like dreamers and doers, the whole community, make sure you check them out coingaming.io, play some of their games, sportsbet.io, or BitCasino. Fun, fast, and fair. I'm Charlie Shrem. I'll talk to you guys right in a minute.
I actually wanted to ask you about, like, I, I keep jumping around like topics in my head. I wanted to ask you about the having, but, um, you know, going back to this really quickly, your, your data, what people don't realize is what you do and how important it is. It's not the front facing website. It's not the coingecko.com. And tell me if I'm wrong. It's, it's all of the uh, wallet providers, the service providers, the miners, the da- data aggregators, media, all these companies that are using your APIs and your software. So what's happening is a lot of these um, companies uh, are using you know, your price feeds, the oracles, all these different things. And so I guess what the fear is, is that a lot of, a lot of companies are using also coin market caps feeds for the same type of reasons. So my fear is that these feeds are now less decentralized. That's where my fear is. It's, it's this information needs to be, you know, when it comes to Bitcoin and crypto information needs to be kept like completely open and transparent. That's how this whole system works. And, and that will stay the same. And I'm not trying to be critical here, but I just want to convey my, uh, my fears, you know, if you will. Um, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think, um, I think, things should be as decentralized as it can be. Um, no one should rely on one data provider to get all their information. Uh, if the data provider gets too big, then it's something of concern for the industry and the industry should think hard on how it can be more decentralized. So I completely agree with you. Um, I think for us, um, when we talk about moral obligation, that's actually exactly what we feel. So our API, uh, we don't charge a fee actually, we provide it to the community because we feel that a lot of crypto projects, uh, they've not been as lucky as us to survive, uh, to, to grow this far. I mean, we've been around for some time and we found a way to serve an API that is cash and, and the cost is kept in a reasonable manner that we can serve as much people as we can. So we feel that so for some basic information, especially on pricing data for Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other coins, like a lot of these explorers, they just don't I mean, it's a hassle. I mean, they can plug into the exchange API, but it's a hassle, and 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 or they can just use one of those paid APIs. But we feel that we feel that a lot of this information should be made available for free, uh, at least for the basic information, so that this information can be provided to wider community of people in the space. I mean, it's only more convenient when you go to a block explorer and you can see the price of your token or your coin uh, shown there, and and. For the developer, it's easier to just plug into CoinGecko's API and, and just show it to them. And for us, it's just kind of a community service and we want to make the API and power and help help the community and the developers building in the space. It's so, it's so important. And we're going to be listening to this after the halving. So what do you think, uh, you know, is going to be happening? It's a very interesting uh, scenario. I mean, we've been looking yeah. forward to this halving for the past year and a half or so. Uh, everyone's talking about it and then Black Thursday came about uh, on March 12th where I mean everyone's saying the price is going to go up right so I guess it did go up uh, well it went from $4,000 up to where it was at the start of the year um, but I guess um, I, think, I think things will be interesting in the next one year or so right so I mean the price appreciation probably only happened after the halving a lot of people a lot of hype is going on to the halving uh, but the 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 the, the price increase is probably already priced in. Uh, that probably happened last year when the price went up to $14,000. Um, funny enough, people didn't feel as uh, excited when it was $14,000 last year as when it first hit $14,000 like one and a half year ago, back in 20, 2018, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but I'm super excited. Uh, halving's happening soon. Um, after that, less reward, uh, block reward, uh, less supply, miners are selling less. Uh, I think it's just long-term bullish for, for Bitcoin. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Like the supply is capped and those of us who are early in, who saw the value of Bitcoin new and, and wanted to buy in early. So um, I'm excited. For, I mean, for are you putting out, uh, I'm so excited and, and full disclosure, I, I purchased a bunch of more Bitcoin this week just because I want to be able to tell myself that I'm locked and loaded pre-having. And I fully know that the price may be lower you know, for the next year after having, it doesn't matter to me. I want to have coins that I purchased pre-having. It's just, it matters to me. Um, do you think you'll ever, you, are you guys doing um, any, any trends? Are you looking at any trends or any, any analytics right now? Um, so, so 
So in terms of halving, um, we, we, we're hosting a meetup on Friday with some of the miners just to talk about it. We've got slush pool and pooling coming in. Uh, and then we're just looking into things. I think, I think we'll be preparing a lot of things um, for the next quarterly report. So we'll be looking at some of the price impact of uh, halving and, and definitely some of these actions you will see. I think we'll be, we'll be trying to look at the, the hash rate difficulty. I'm super interested to see what will be the impact of all these things uh, pre and post halving. Super interested to see what are the miners, uh, what sort of machines will still be uh, profitable, uh, which miners will will walk away if we can go and find out who they are. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you think miners will walk away? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that there's been a lot of uh, hype in the industry, especially among miners, maybe in China, that that there's been they've been they've been sold a narrative that because uh, there's Bitcoin halving, the price must increase, uh, must double. So a lot of miners uh, were making the projections based on Bitcoin price doubling after the halving for them to be profitable. But the Bitcoin Bitcoin price has been has been down quite quite uh, quite badly, and I think a lot of miners um, they, they they will capitulate. Um, they will have to sell their their some of their they close down. They can't just can't they can't make they can't make a profit. So yeah, I'm pretty sure some of them will close down. Uh, I think only those that have access to cheap electricity and some of the best miners, the best uh, miners today will survive. There'll be a lot of MMA, MNAs, I suppose. We saw that in 2017, you know, because everyone was expecting the halving um, to make the price go up. It was tw- end of 2016, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember and the price didn't go up and there was a very, there was a few months. This is just like personal insight. I remember, um, where I had friends who became mining resellers and I literally have a, I have a box of like just these little mini ASIC miners that I bought from Bitmain that I never actually plugged in because they were so cheap after, after that, that last having, I think we'll see that too. But what actually happened is we saw like a consolidation and it became insanely bullish because while the miners were closing down, it wasn't seen as like a negative thing. It was seen as like a, um, something that, was predictable that is now actually happening. It's like when you're, when you predict something and it actually happens, it's like, Oh, what else am I predicting? You know what I mean? Yeah. So definitely, I think, uh, I think you and I know we've been in this space long enough that, uh, um, when, when, when it's a bearish market, like things can be bearish for a very long time before it turns bullish again. But when it comes, when it becomes bullish, like <laughs> it's crazy times. Right. Um, but a lot of people are like, those who have not been in the space long enough, um, they, they, they sort of underestimate like how, how long the bearish cycle can last and then they just don't have enough cash to sustain, sustain through the bearish cycle. So yeah, that's one of the things I suppose. Like, uh, but miners, I guess it's harder because they, they work on a small margin, they got high OPEX uh, with the electricity costs. Um, I guess if you're based in China with access to cheap electricity, hydropower electricity in Sichuan province, I guess, I guess, I guess you get some advantage there, but yeah, it's tough. I would say. I was just thinking about, um, mining. I don't know. I didn't plan for this conversation to become more about mining, but I just, it's one of my favorite topics. Did you ever mine? <laughs> um, a little bit, uh, back in those days, I had some GPUs and I was mining Dogecoin. It's kind of a fun thing with some friends, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah. Hey, listen, ne- you would have made money on it though. <laughs> it was fun, right? Like, I mean, Dogecoin, I mean, I had so much fun on the Reddit, like, I mean, just tipping people on, on, on the subreddit, like, and, and it was so fun. Like, and actually that was one of the ways where we kind of grew CoinGecko's community. Like everyone was kind of uh, talking about things and then we, we had so much fun, like just tipping people on a, in, in, in Reddit, on the Dogecoin subreddit. And we kind of made a lot of friends and those were some of our early users of CoinGecko. And so a lot of them kind of stuck on to now, I would say. So it was good times. Dogecoin was a good, good thing that happened to us. It was good. It was awesome back in the day. Um, speaking of Doge, do you see any other like Dogecoin was so important because it created. I think it was the first coin other than Bitcoin that had uh, a subculture. And why did you mine? Said, Let's talk about how important it is. Why did you mine it? Why did you spend your money mining something where there was barely a value? I, I guess to some extent, we also saw like that maybe, maybe, maybe there's a chance of it being profitable. Uh, but it was more for fun, right? To just get. Dogecoin and all. Um, I agree with you. Dogecoin was a very important thing. Like back in those days, like it, it wasn't very. 
finance oriented. Like it was just like everyone sees the in there for fun, just like passing around coins. I mean, a lot of websites had this donate button, like people just like donating Bitcoin or Dogecoin or whatever, just just for the fun of it, just to move things around. And then 20, 20, 2017, 2018 came by and, and then things became so serious. It's all about, hey, this is like big money stuff and all, it's institutional and all already. So um, yeah, back, back, Dogecoin was a show that, I mean, I still hope that there will be a coin these days where people can just pass around, going around showing their gratitude, tipping people for good work done and all, good job done. Um, I guess it's just, we just need another coin. I mean, I don't know what, but maybe something someday will come out to, to make it uh, this pass it along feel good factor coin uh, yeah but uh, Dogecoin was fun I remember the com- days when the community kind of rallied together to raise some funds for the Jamaican bobsleigh team to go to the Winter Olympics that was that was quite cool like people coming together and then I mean the, how Dogecoin race was car they did, yeah. NAS- they did a NASCAR NASCAR yeah I mean Bitcoin yeah. did um, I remember the St. Petersburg uh Football. Yeah, there's a football be, game here. Um, I, I miss those kind of sub, these like cultural things, you know. I guess with COVID, you can't really do that. But um, I don't know. It, you're right. It's so important. Community is so important. And and honestly, this show, this show is not for like learning how to make money on Bitcoin. This show is for people who love crypto already and just want to be a part of the, the subculture. And then they want to learn some things, but also be entertained, you know, uh, light and just sitting here, being able to talk to you and, uh, having a friendly conversation. A lot of the listeners are learning, um, so many new things, every single episode. That's why like subculture ideology uh, is so important for like, for any community. But, but dude, how cool is this? Like our subculture, like allows us to talk and be friends, um, from, doesn't matter where we are, where we're from, the color of our skin, our race, religion, sex, you know, all these, it doesn't matter. It, it, so I feel like that is, that is one thing that has never changed in Bitcoin so far. And the larger crypto community, that has not changed. It's still an amazing thing. I completely agree. It felt like, I mean, it feels that I can go to any part of the world uh, and find a community where I can connect and we have some similar stories and same ideology where we can talk about and it's all Bitcoin and crypto like like it doesn't matter your skin color your social status or anything like we will have something in common to talk to um, completely agree and I think I think I think I think this community this subculture is all about the community without the community there is no Bitcoin there is no crypto culture and all there's nothing to be held and uh, I think I think building a business in this space um, is something quite different in the sense that people uh, has to I mean it's all about community if I mean if you don't put big effort in cultivating your community you are nobody you can't grow in this space I think Binance understood this well and they did a pretty tremendous job trying to build their own community in the space. Of course, not to mention they did a lot of good things, right? I mean, they got a fast exchange, uh, cheap exchange, and so on. But it's all about community, and and I think I think I think the future will be very interesting because I imagine a future where anything and everything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. So I imagine like all companies will have some sort of a token where they'll be distributing some sort of an upside to their community, to their customers, and I imagine where a future a future where Every a lot of individuals will also uh, issue their own tokens, and these tokens can be used to like share their gratitude or or some sort of income share agreement or for for their future self or um, just to get a meeting or some purchase pre purchase of some of their freelance work. I think it's an interesting future where. Um, uh, where things will be. I think at, a, at this point in time, a lot of things are hinges on regulation. Nobody knows what we can or we cannot do yet. Uh, but over the years, like things will work out and uh, companies will figure out ways, uh, creative ways, innovative ways of sharing the upside with their community. So I'm super, super excited for that, for that future. How can they share their upside? Share, share their upside. So, I mean, like, I mean, think, think about it, right? Like an exchange token, like Binance, a BNB coin and, uh, like where the, the the exchange like um uh burn 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 burns out the coins based on their revenue and profits uh over time if the exchange is doing well and you are a customer of the exchange you 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 share upside of it if you have the bnb um some i've seen like some people issuing tokens for themselves where there's some sort of uh, income share agreement where uh 15 of their income for the next three years will be shared 
uh, with token holders, for example. So, yeah. so those those are really interesting use cases, and I I certainly hope there was an opportunity back like ten years ago. I I wanted to talk, uh, find a way to get some cash up front to, and I don't mind sharing some of my upside, I mean, some of my 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 income, but there was no way to do it back then. And and I, I see the technology is here now. It's just a matter of regulations and and. Things to get more you think people are going to tokenize themselves? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That would be so cool. Yeah, so I think I think I think we are starting to see some of these early experiments happening already. So some are more uh, so like income share agreements sort of stuff. Uh, we saw the NBA star uh, Dwayne uh, what's his name Dean 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 Witty, I think he basically has a contract with the NBA and he tokenized a securities token uh, tokenized his contract. With the NBA and he shares upside. I mean, shares his, his he gets cash up front and then he shares the his monthly payout to to the to the to the use to the token token holders. And then the other type of uh, personal tokens that we see are people that are basically pre-selling some of their time. For example, if you are a designer, you can pre-sell one thousand tokens to get like one thousand hours of design work. Or if you are a lawyer, you can uh, sell like one thousand tokens for one thousand hours of uh, work with. Uh, or a lawyer, I suppose, consulting work with a, with a lawyer. So there's a lot of these uh, interesting ways where 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 people can start uh, tokenizing themselves as well. Do you think that there's a... Um, so, okay, this is actually like the perfect um, scenario. So imagine if I tokenized myself and I started... Um, people have asked me to like launch Trembux or whatever. So if I launch Trembux, I have to get it listed on CoinGecko. But... Um, you know, ag- oh, on the aggregate, man. I got to listen on an exchange first, but, um, but, um, do you have, you have someone like me? I, I, I do that. And there, there, there won't be like sufficient liquidity and you have someone else, you have the ability to, um, like if you, if you did that, if you also, people would, there would be a market eventually, you know, for efficient markets where people would create, um, uh, an exchange rate between my hours and your hours. That would be so cool. That would actually be somewhat scary because then you'd have like, social ranking in a way based on finance i don't i don't know if i like this this road that we're going down right now so i think i think a couple of uh things that that has happened in ethereum uh space so this is with regards to the exchange so we are all really familiar with exchange order book based exchanges where there's a there must be a bid and there must be an ask but i think i think like uniswap that's happening in ethereum where there's an automated market maker based on a bonding curve which automatically sets the price based on the amount of tokens purchased and sold uh, I think that that sort of innovation will probably be the way that a lot of these personal tokens will find liquidity. So, so um, probably not explaining it well enough in the sense that uh, what happens is this bonding curve, the price increases as more people demand for this token. So as there's less demand or more supply of this token, the price goes down. That's sort of the basic premise of the idea. Yeah. Uh, so so, so I, th- I think that's probably how a lot of these uh, low liquidity, low uh uh, coins will probably get some of their liquidity in these early days on Uniswap. Do we still? Do you think we still have a problem with with volume and liquidity? Like, um, do we still have? How, how do you how do you attack this? I mean, how do you how do I know? Um, okay, here we go. If I'm a regular person, I am a regular person. But if I don't, you know, if I if some if I have tokens or if I buy, you know, get involved in an ICO or whatever. If I'm looking at CoinGecko and I'm looking at uh, a coin and I see, you know, the price, I see the, you know, the, the exchanges that, that it trades on. Are there any like, you know, uh, things that I can look at that would stick out that would tell me that this volume is not real or this liquidity is fake or that this exchange, you know, you know what you offer that I love? You do exchange health. That's a great yep. thing that you offer. No one else does that. And it's actually one of my favorite things that I look at very frequently. Yeah, so back in 2020, last, last year, 2019, early last year, and we were looking at CoinGecko and I mean, Bitcoin's, I mean, this whole industry is decentralized like, and it's not regulated. So anybody can create an exchange and then create whatever. And, and what happens is a lot of websites like aggregators like us, we sort of, well, in a traditional world, trading volume is a good reflection of liquidity because a larger trading volume means there's more liquidity in a coin, uh, in a token or in a stock, for example. But, but in crypto, people try to do that and then people sort of rank exchanges based on the volume as well. Um, 
we used to do that as well. And one fine day we woke up, I mean, it's been going on for months and then we saw that we just can't stand the sight of looking at all these exchanges, putting out fake volume that is dominating the charts yeah. of Bitcoin, Ethereum and so on. It just looks disgusting to us. And we say that we can't live with this thing. It's not doing us a favor. It's not doing a community in fail because we felt that anyone who visits CoinGecko thinks that this shitty exchange ABC that's uh, saying, that claims to have like a, total of a, over a billion dollars in daily trading volume for Bitcoin. And people think that that is the most liquid exchange. They go there and trade. But we all know that this is a fake exchange. And we say that there's no way we can put this as a top of the site on CoinGecko. So we, we thought really hard on what we could do to sort of uh, rank these exchanges. Um, and then we came up with some sort of like an algorithm. Uh, we call this a trust score, which basically looks at uh, things beyond trading volume. We, it came on the premise that we felt that trading volume as a metric is no longer a good indicator of, of an exchange health. Uh, it's been kind of a bastardized metric. Uh, it's been too well manipulated by all these exchanges. So we started looking at other things. Uh, one of the main metrics that we look at is order book, uh, order book depth. We look at a 2% interval. Um, we look at how much liquidity there is if want someone were to sell 2%. Uh, from the price, the last time price, the mid, mid price actually. And we also look at the bid ask spread and, and see if there's, uh, how close it is to each other to, to check on liquidity. Um, funny story is while we were doing this exercise, we saw one exchange where not only did it have, uh, I think we were looking at this like BTC, uh, LTC, BTC pair, Litecoin, Bitcoin pair. Uh, and then it claims that it has over $150 million in daily trading volume but the beta spread was uh, over 80%. And we were shocked at looking at it. And then when we went to the website to see, we saw all the trades that's happening was in between the beta and us. And that was clearly uh, a, watch traded, a watch trading exchange. Uh, so we look at Audible, we look at beta spread, we look at uh, similar web traffic estimates. We, we thought that exchanges that have a large um, traffic web traffic should probably make, it makes sense that they have a large trading volume. But if an exchange claims that it has a very high trading volume, but there was barely any web traffic, uh, it's probably suspicious and they're probably faking some stuff out. So we took that as a main consideration. And uh, we look into the API quality uh, sort of thing that if an exchange that has high quality API will probably be more established as a team and, and will therefore be a stronger stronger contender uh, for a good exchange. And, and look at a bunch of other metrics uh, from liquidity and all to kind of come up with an uh, algorithm. Um, to, to rank these exchanges. Um, there's no perfect way of looking at exchange health uh, and exchanges know what we are doing and they always want to try to game these numbers as well. So kind of like a cat and mouse game, I would say, sort of work for now, but we sort of have to keep our guts up and see what we can do to always make this harder as time goes on. You know what? Like I always end off the show saying uh, from, from your mouth to the ears of the Magic Sky people, and, and I think I agree with that. Um, so you have a lot of users that are listening to this show and they need, they need help. They need education. You've written, you've written multiple chapters in two different books. What are your chapters on? Cause you didn't, you didn't, I mean like, uh, you're also a research fellow. What are your chapters talking about? Yeah, so uh, the books uh, that we wrote about was basically on the altcoins and on alternative cryptocurrencies. And we basically look into some of the ways how to uh, classify all these different cryptocurrencies. So yeah, uh, basically those were chapters in the books, uh, basically all about altcoins. And, and we sort of see them. And it's interesting how like over the years, like how we categorize altcoins have sort of changed over the years. And we're seeing all these different sub sections of altcoins uh, growing up, uh, I mean, over the years. And I think, I think it's interesting that uh, in the coming years, we'll be seeing more of these people talking about the different type of stable coins. And back then there was an exchange token, but now there's a whole section on exchange tokens that if you want to go study deep, there's all these things that you want to study. Uh, I think things that are happening, uh, you see the Chili's guys working on uh, football club fan tokens. So you have Juventus, Barcelona, Paris Saint-Germain, and, and all, they have all this group of tokens that, that clubs can do to engage their fans. Um, yeah, and, and basically it was, we wrote about that, but things have changed so much since then that, that we probably need to write an updated chapter on, on how to classify and look at all these different coins. You know, um, 
let's go back for a second to to moral obligation that we started the show with. Uh, you know, you talk about trust score, you talk about we talk about exchange health, we talk about the data, uh, you talk about um, stable coins and all your altcoins. We talk about you writing chapters in your book. You know, to to wrap up the show, um, when you have a moral obligation to these people, you know, I feel like I do even on the show. Um, the fear is that the data that you're putting out could affect the decisions that people make. Although you're not telling them outright when you're putting out something like Exchange Health, you're you're basically telling someone that you believe it's safer to to work on this exchange versus another exchange. Do you ever fear that that the data could could you know not be wrong but just could could let me take a step back. Do you ever fear that your data could affect someone in a de- in a decision that you may not like. Do you lose? Do you lose sleep over this? Yeah, um, we try. Some yeah, I mean, we we are worried that sometimes the things that we do um, may affect someone else's uh, decisions. Um, we try our very best to put notices and disclaimers to always tell people to do their own research and to not uh, risk more than what they can afford to lose, but. Sometimes people just don't care and they just uh, just follow quite blindly. Um, it's not much that we can work on. I mean, we try to educate, we do our very best. We put the exchanges with the better health at the top compared to the ones that are not so reliable at the bottom. But yeah. there's only so much that we can do and, and we do our very best uh, whenever we hear of news or rumors of some exchanges or some coins being hacked. We do our very best to put an announcement on our site as part I love of the that. End. Like a task force. Um, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so because we sort of get news faster than the rest, so we hope that through our proactive actions of just informing people what we know, we hope that uh, we kind of uh, send a message that uh, and stop like more people from losing more money, I suppose. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing and, and keep continuing doing what you're doing. We need more companies like you. We need more data. We need more transparency. We need disclosures. As Ryan Selkis tells me on my show all the time, we need more disclosures. We need content. We need data. Bobby Ong, thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to meet you. I want to come out to Malaysia, coingecko.com. Check it out, guys. Um, they're not a sponsor of the show. They should be, but free data i mean you can't you can't you can't go wrong thank you so much again for coming on the show pleasure very happy to be on the show hey everyone thanks for listening new episodes of untold stories are released every tuesday and thursday at 7 a.m est on untoldstories.com apple spotify or wherever you get your podcast Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of Blockworks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offert. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.